This evening, I'm meeting with Bob Fairweather, a good friend of mine. We've known each other for longer than we want to remember. Uh, we were both in the Trade Commissioner Service together. Uh, Bob, you've been back here in Vancouver for how many years now? Uh, about ten years, Steve. Ten years. Yes. Um, if if I may, perhaps yeah. I could just rehearse, uh, rehash a little bit right. what my career was like. Um, when I graduated from university in the mid-60s, I had a degree in international relations and joined uh, the Trade Commissioner Service of the federal government. Right. In that capacity, uh, in the first year, we traveled across Canada learning about Canadian enterprise. In those days, much of Canadian industry was involved in the uh, raw materials side of the business. We visited mines, fish plants, lumber mills, pulp factories, things of that nature, all of which were very important to the Canadian economy back in the 1960s. I remember those trips. We had a lot of fun too while we were traveling <laughs> across the country. We did, but for most of us, you know, uh, the plane travel was very new. So, uh, a lot of us, it was the first time we'd been on a jet plane. Uh, and so uh, we hadn't really traveled extensively. In my case, I'd brought up in Ontario. And so much of my life was spent uh, in Ontario and Quebec. Uh, not uh, knowing much about the country. So this provided a very excellent opportunity to visit the maritime provinces, visit the western provinces, and see what a magnificent country Canada is. And that's why I'm always very proud to be Canadian. I, I should say that I had the same experience, and uh, first time ever in Newfoundland, first time in British Columbia. It really gives you a sense of the immensity uh, of the country, yeah. which we forget when we live in our little neighborhood and worry about our little worries. Yeah. No, no question about it. I mean, the first time I saw the Rockies, I was in awe of how wonderful uh, this was uh, all uh, part of our my country. Right. Um, then I went overseas uh, at the various embassies in uh, the Philippines. I served in the Caribbean. And then uh, my first time to Japan in 1972, I came. When you were in the Caribbean, is that where you perfected your golf game at the government's <laughs> expense? Well, I did play a lot of golf, and uh, no, I uh, started playing golf when I was about 13 in London, Ontario. Oh, yeah. There was a, uh, a program that the municipal government had to encourage golf, so they uh, it cost me ten dollars a summer, and I could play at any of the four municipal courses. Uh, at any time and so it, uh, each day I would get up in the morning hitchhike to the golf course and in the mornings I would either look for golf balls that I could sell or caddy for someone and then in the afternoon when the junior players could play I would uh, play golf and I'd stay there until dark and then hitchhike home so my parents were always very pleased that I was doing that rather than out uh, doing other things Causing trouble. so it has helped my golf game <laughs> and then uh, I came back to Canada and one of the interesting, uh, having spent time in Japan, I went in and, and at the Department of Industry, Trade and Commerce was very much involved in promoting our relationship with Japan and uh, became involved in something called the Canada-Japan Business Conference. Now at that time you already spoke Japanese. Yes, I did. I had been two years at the U.S. State Department Language School in Yokohama, Japan, and then had spent uh, a further three years at the Canadian Embassy in Tokyo. And, 
you know, it, it really opened a lot of doors for me, Steve, in, in insofar as Japan was very much new to Canadians. It had become our second most important trading partner. People were very interested in this country because it was growing very quickly. And uh, uh, it was becoming much more important in the scheme of international affairs. And so, in terms of Canada, I guess our three most important or four most important posts were Washington, uh, London, Paris, and perhaps Tokyo. Now you said you joined which association? I, I helped out with the creation of the Canada-Japan Business Committee, right. which was um, a committee of uh, senior business executives in both Japan and Canada who would meet uh, on an annual basis just to exchange ideas and try to get to know each other better because in the early days there was a lot of misconceptions not only on the part of Canadians about what was going on in Japan but also on the part of Japanese with respect to Canada as a place to invest, as a place to do business. Now you did subsequently become the chairman of the uh, Board of Trade. Yes, what happened was when I, yes. in, in, having spent most of my years in, in abroad when I came back to Vancouver in 1991 I was approached by a couple of members of the Board of Trade because they were looking for people with international experience to serve on the board as a director. And so uh, I joined in, in uh, 1992. I became a member of the Board of Trade and spent three years as a director. And then subsequently I was asked to uh, if I would be interested in becoming the chairman of the Board of Trade. And so uh, I went on as vice chair, senior vice chairman, and then in 1997-98, uh, I served as the uh, chairman of the Vancouver Board of Trade, which is a very uh, effective uh, organization in as much as it's, it, it works very diligently on behalf of business in Vancouver to uh, promote the interests of business. Now, Darcy Rizak is the, what's his title? He's the managing director. Managing director. So he is there permanently. That's correct. And the chairman changes every, every year. Every year. But in my case, it was, a, it was a slightly different because when I was senior vice chair, the chairman at the time, uh, Brant Louis, was very busy doing other things, and so quite often I had to fill in for him. So it was almost a two-year assignment for me. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was a wonderful time to be chairman of the Board of Trade because APEC went on in 1997, mm -hmm. and so many of the uh, government leaders came here to Vancouver to participate in that uh, uh, organization and uh, I was fortunate to host uh, Fidel Ramos, the president of the Philippines at the golf course. So uh, golf, play, being able to play golf helped me and also got to uh, meet with uh, C.H. Tung and uh, uh, the uh, Prime Minister of Singapore and several of the other uh, leaders who were here at that time. Um, the, the Board of Trade, and of course uh, we know some of the people there, and they're also involved in this program, it's also an opportunity for people to meet people. That's really what the key element of the Board of Trade is all about. Um, it's a chance for people to network, it's a chance for people to meet other people involved in business. Um, there's about 4,500 members, and the Board of Trade puts on regular events, uh, to help support those members, be it a fair, something like business after business, something they put on on a regular basis, 
where members come and they, they are able to exhibit their products or their services. Uh, there's networking uh, 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 opportunities. When I say networking, that's the chance for people to get to know each other, to exchange business cards. Mm-hmm. And uh, Peter Newman, who is uh, a very famous Canadian writer, said that uh, in one of his books that uh, the Board of Trade may not have invented networking, but they perfected it. And uh, at any luncheon they have, everybody sits at a, if you're sitting at a table, there's an opportunity to exchange business cards, and uh, the hope is that people will do business with those people with whom they've, uh, they've been able to meet uh, over lunch. Now, if we take a, an entirely different perspective, if you have someone who, let's say, is a recent immigrant to Canada, he's struggling to figure out the system here, uh, get his family properly installed, uh, he might have a professional uh, degree or even professional experience uh, in his uh, home country. Now, how does he start to, to network, and how does he start working his way into this business community here? Do you have any advice? Well, of course, he has to be able to speak some English right. to enable the communicate. Some English, yes. to speak good English. Good English to communicate, yes. uh, and that's very important uh, in uh, being able to. Uh, gain entree into the business community. Uh, Certainly the Board of Trade would be one element of that because uh, it's easy to join. In fact there's programs that encourage people who are new to Vancouver to become members because they can use the Board of Trade as a stepping stone to uh, get to know who's doing what, uh, what businesses are here and whether there's an ability to, uh, if someone's looking for a job, certainly uh, it's a place to start. Now, uh, if we even step back from that, uh, a person who maybe doesn't even have a job, what do you think are the key things to think about when you, A, prepare your resume, B, when you go for a job interview? How, how should a person present himself or herself? Steve, I've interviewed many people and I've uh, for jobs during the period I've been here. And uh, many of the people who come in to apply for a particular position within the company I'm in uh, come in not knowing much about the company, not speaking English very well, but more importantly, their resume I don't think is prepared very well. Let me deal with those three issues, if I may. First of all, the resume. The resume, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And so, you've got to be very strong on your resume. Time and time again, I've seen people who are well qualified. I get the resume, I read it, there's lots of mistakes. Spelling mistakes, grammatical mistakes. And I'm saying, I've got to present an image to the public. Can I afford to hire someone who, not a, for such an important document as their resume, does not have the ability to write it correctly. So I would ensure that anybody who's preparing a resume get it looked at by several people to ensure that the English is correct. Because it, it, it makes a very big impression when people see a well-written uh, resume. Secondly, when people come, they should be presentable. Uh, they have to... Uh, uh, I think if people even can't communicate exceedingly well in English, as long as they, their written English is good. So, 
they should emphasize that as well. And I think this is what this is an excellent opportunity by listening to these tapes to gain exp- gain comfort right. Right. in being able to understand colloquial right. English. But uh, even even with the good written English, I mean, I know with my own experience. First of all, I totally agree with you. Uh, very often nowadays, if you're interviewing people, you have lots of applicants, so you're looking for a reason. That's right. To disqualify someone. That's right. So if you see a, a mistake, he's out. That's correct. You're happy. You've reduced the pile. Now you haven't got twenty to look at. You got nineteen. Uh, someone else is. So so one has to be so careful. That's right. And and I agree with you on appearance. Like a fellow comes in with an earring. He's out. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. so, so you really have to appeal to the broadest possible... Well, I look at several things. I look whether the, the person's shoes are shined. Because if somebody's shoes are shined, it means that they're taking care of their appearance. Eh? Right. That, so they're probably going to take care of their, their business affairs in the same way. They're going to be neat. Right. There's going to be... Uh, you know, appearances mean a lot. So they're going to ensure that things are done in a proper way. And um, I, I think though that the spoken, we still come back to the spoken English, the person has to be able to create a favorable impression in the interview. Now what sorts of things should that person in the, in the interview, what does he want to project to the potential employer? Well he has to convince that employer that he's the best person or she's the best person for the job. And so it's uh, one way to do that is to have a good command of, of, of English. Um, another way is to uh, be sure of your facts but more importantly what I find time and time again I get people applying for jobs who come in to see me and don't know anything about my company Mm -hmm. and yet we have uh, a website you know there's ability to find out about what we do we have brochures you could ask for you know all of these things that would prepare someone so when they come in they show that they have a genuine interest in what we do and because of that genuine interest they're interested in working for us I mean that's also a very important point I've seen this too the uh, person looking for a job comes to the potential employer if I'm the person looking for a job I want something from you I want a job but if I project the idea that I want something from you I'm not going to get the job what I have to project is I'm going to give you something so that, that I'm here to do to do something for you and, and only if you project that do you have a chance of getting the job but but so often it seems the other way around the, the, the person applying almost like is saying what can you do for me you know? yeah how much do you pay <laughs> the worst thing is when people come in and all of a sudden they're asking about how many weeks vacation they get what's the salary and uh, what are the benefits you know, and I have lots of people who do that. I mean, those are the first questions they ask. Right. I mean, and you say, what is the motivation for working here? Right. Yeah. Mind you, to be very uh, honest, it, it will depend on the job market. If we have a very tight job market, uh, where people are, you know, bidding for people, that's one thing. But that's not the job market that we're in today. It's a very tough job market. Well, what kinds of, of uh, job opportunities are out there? What professions, what... Where do you think the greatest... Well, here in Vancouver, I mean, we've seen a very big change in the economy of the province, where mining and forestry were the, the drivers of the economy in years past. That's quickly changing. And Vancouver's becoming noted for its high technology, for its film industry, and for its tourism. And all of which are kind uh, of be uh, good-paying jobs. Mm-hmm. Certainly the high-tech sector, where... Uh, many people coming in with uh, advanced degrees in mathematics and computer science uh, would find, uh, I think, uh, lots of opportunities here 
in, in those sectors. But the high tech has taken a bit of a hit recently, or is it still doing fairly well here in Vancouver? Uh, the startup companies have, have ha taken a hit because they didn't have the cash, uh, the, the monetary reserves in which to sustain themselves through a down period. But those that were well established uh, have, have done well and continue to do well. Uh, the tourism industry has been hit by the global recession, particularly in the last quarter uh, of, of this past year. And we've seen uh, uh, tourism off uh, to a large extent from places like Japan and elsewhere. Uh, but I think we're seeing on the reverse side, many Americans who were thinking of going to Europe and to Asia have now decided that it's safer to come to a place like Canada. Mm -hmm. And with our lower dollar, they can enjoy uh, a very uh, attractive uh, vacation here at, at, at low cost. Mm -hmm. um, the other area is the film industry, and that involves so much in terms of uh, companies who work in the high-tech sector utilizing the latest technology to uh, develop film, to produce film. Mm -hmm. There's one company here called in Vancouver called Rainmaker where if, if somebody wants to have a bird on their shoulder they can take the, the, uh, the film and put it in on, computerize it so that this bird flies in and lands on somebody's shoulder and mm -hmm. you know all the things you see in some of the more uh, fancy, fantasy movies like Jurassic Park. Well, certainly uh, the times have changed since uh, you and I started our <laughs> career as trade commissioners back in the 60s. And uh, I think these are exciting times even though we are in a bit of a difficult period. But uh, certainly I want to thank you very much. Bob, My pleasure. And, uh, we'll see you again on the golf course. Thank you very much, Steve.